everybody. I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, founder of the nonprofit The Woman Behind the Smile, and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something not through no fault of our own or through our own making we keep hidden, and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well as providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources so that no matter where you are on your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. It's a beautiful day in paradise, and as I tell my friends in Canada, it's hot, hot, hot down here in Florida, but it is a lovely day, and and, uh, I'm looking out the window at my new trees, my crepe myrtles, and they're starting to bloom again. They just need a little bit of water because yesterday was really hot. Uh, but I'm not complaining because it's it's a beautiful day in paradise. And I have a wonderful guest today, a friend that I've just met online, uh, but I've been researching her for hours today. And I was laughing because she texted me and said, we're having bad weather up here and we might get disconnected. And I'm thinking, I've just spent two hours of positivity with you. So we are going to make sure this show is going to go through. So everybody, please welcome my guest today, Ms. Mary Ellen Sikonovich. Thank you so much. I appreciate you so much, Debbie. Well, welcome, welcome. This is exciting today because you're getting ready to go on a two-day conference with a bunch of my friends, and yes. it's called Celebrate You. And I just thought, before we start off, I'm going to say I admire you. Oh, thank you so much. You know, all of us have a purpose and have a mission, like, like you're doing yours with this fantastic show, Stand Up and Speak, and I'm just blessed to be a part of it. Well, I'm so glad that you're here. And, and I say that I admire you. I, like I said, I've been listening to a couple hours of YouTube videos just because I'd like to find out about who my guest is. And I found out some really neat things. And so to, to bring the audience up to speed, though, I like to go back in time a little bit. For some of us, it's longer than others. But for others, it's, it's a short time. But I want to know about your background. Because I can't hear your background in your accent, but where did you grow up? And tell me a little bit about your family. Well, I was born in Buffalo, New York. Uh, my grandparents lived in, one set of grandparents lived in New York. The other was in Montana. And at the age of four, uh, my father was moved to Atlanta, Georgia. So my whole family moved down to Atlanta. So I was raised in Atlanta, Georgia. So I didn't ever have any of the northern background. My father was a westerner from Ennis, Montana, and so he usually did the cooking and everything, so, and he basically did a lot of the raising with us, and let's see, at the age of six, I was diagnosed with epilepsy. It was petit mal epilepsy, but the year was 1958, and the laws at the time about epilepsy were, you know, you couldn't marry or you couldn't have kids, because they thought epilepsy was genetically inherited. Yeah. So after I was diagnosed and I remember being diagnosed and 
you know, I was this little first grader, six years old, and my parents and my sister are sitting at the counter and they're crying. And I'm like, who died? And my mother goes, oh, nobody died, sweetheart. We're crying for you. You're crying for me. Excuse me. You know, and, uh, and so she tried to explain to me what it was. Of course, in first grade, I had no earthly idea what she was talking about. And she always looked at me and she goes, well, at least you don't look like you have it. And I would used to think, what do people with epilepsy supposed to look like? So I went through that for a long time. Can you until I went that? up. Can you explain what? that though? You brought that up though. Can you explain what epilepsy is? And sure. can you see it? Because I don't know that I know anybody. Well, uh, there are so many different forms of epilepsy. And you'll notice that I say epilepsy instead of epileptic. Because when you say that you are epileptic, that means that your whole body is epileptic. I have epilepsy to deal with in my human form, but I'm not a walking, talking epileptic. And that is a big difference in controlling it. Epilepsy is the nerves on your brain. Uh, well, see, the neurological system is the only system in your body where the cells don't touch. So it's a chemical imbalance in the brain to where when I touch something, whether it's hot or cold, all those signals go through my brain and they will go to uh, the dendrite and they'll go down the, go to the cell, they'll go down the dendrite. And then between the cells, there is a space called a synapse. And after the dendrite, that emotion of touching cold or hot or whatever will jump that space. If it misses the jump and it falls into the brain, it creates, creates the explosion or the thing you see as an, a seizure. Okay. Or in my case, it was just like, I would be reading to first grade and I would, you know, I had the C. Dick, Jane and Spock books. I don't know if you remember those. I do, I do. But I'd be reading, I'd go, C. Dick run after, and I would just pop, I'd be out of it. I didn't know how long I was out of it. And I would come back and I would start right at the space I left off. Of course, my first grade teacher thought that was, interesting and my mother was a teacher so she went down and said I think your daughter needs to be tested so they diagnosed me with epilepsy and my mom always told me not to tell anybody that you know don't worry about anything we'll send you your medication for the rest of your life my man knew that we we're going to die before I would so I mean that didn't make a whole lot of sense and I knew I did want to get married and I did want to have a child so I went off to I only applied to one college. I applied to the University of Georgia because I kept being told what I couldn't do. Yet all through high school, I was a cheerleader and I did as many things. I was a model in Atlanta and I did a lot of things. Just I wasn't being rebellious. I just wanted to know that I, I've always wanted to just be normal. And now I know that normal is really highly overrated. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that that's something we need to get rid of. Anyway, so I went off to the University of Georgia and I did join a sorority because when I went to Georgia, my mother said, well, we're paying for your college, so don't come home. And I'm like, okay. So I joined a sorority. I'm an Alpha Chi Omega. And I started uh, rooming with uh, a girl. Uh, I call her Fro, Carolyn Fro, and she was one of my sorority sisters. And she was the first person that I told because I just figured they'd throw me out of the story and they're just going to kick me out. So I said, I have something to tell you. And she said, well, what? And I said, well, I have epilepsy. And she just looked at me and she goes, 
so what? And that was the first time I'd ever heard, what do you mean, so what? Isn't that some big deal? Isn't that some black spot inside me, inside me that, you know, I'm not supposed to tell anybody about? And when I was getting married, getting ready to get engaged to my first husband, it took me six hours to tell him. Oh, dear. And I finally said, well, I have epilepsy. And he goes, well, thank God, I thought you were going to die or something. And I'm like, okay. So we went on and, and got married and um, moved up to uh, Connecticut while well, we were in West Virginia for a while. And I had a daughter. And of course, being told I could never have kids, I was always, my fear was that she would have epilepsy also. And it's a great example of what you fear happens. Okay. Because at the age of three, I was noticing her and she would just sit down and just daze. And I was like, oh my God. And so my husband, my first husband took her to a doctor. I couldn't even go because I was just so tense. Mm -hmm. And he come, came back and he goes, yes, they diagnosed her with epilepsy. And they put her on medication. And I, I just broke. I just broke. And I, I mean, Gabby, I was mad. I was actually mad at God for a whole year. I was like, I only asked you for one thing, God. You know, I went through all these trials and tribulations with mom. She told me I was an accident. I was never wanted. You know, I only asked for one thing and you can't do that. You know, I was just until one day I just started laughing and I thought, who am I? This little peon person, blonde head person being mad at God. I mean, so we ended up my husband, my first husband was with IBM. So we moved up to Connecticut and I was very close to Yale, New Haven. And there is a seizure clinic up there with a very world-renowned neurologist. And he didn't have any appointments, of course. So I drove up there and I looked as cute as I could probably look. <laughs> and, and I thought, I, he is going to see me. If I have to sit in his office all day and all night, he is going to see me. His name was Dr. Richard Matson. Very, he had a one of the only seizure clinics in the country. And so finally he came out to his secretary. He goes, What what does she want? And so his secretary explained, and he took me into his office. And I explained my story and my daughter's. Well, he happened to be doing a study on women's hormone imbalances and how hormone imbalances can cause seizure type activity. And he said, I think you're a perfect candidate for my study. So before I see your daughter, I need to put you in the seizure clinic first to see what kind you have. And then I'll put your daughter in. So he put me in and in this seizure clinic, they try to ignite a seizure. They kick you up all the time. They flashlights, they, hey, you go through all this stuff. And I didn't have anything that happened. And of course, they pull your medication away. And he looked at me, he goes, you have a very mild case. And I really think it is due to hormone imbalances that you were born with. Hmm. So then I took my daughter up there. And after three days of being in the clinic, Dr. Matson came out and he goes, Mary Ellen, come on, let's go across the street and have coffee. Because I asked him, I said, don't tell me anything until you know. And he looked at me and he goes, I don't know who diagnosed her or why. 
and you have a very healthy, normal little girl. Well, yeah. But, but she'd been on Tegretol for a year, so her coordination was bad. I'd gone and I'd had my tubes tied so I couldn't have any more kids because I felt so guilty for it. And at the same time, I didn't think about going back to a doctor and suing them because that was my choice, okay? Doctors are doing the best they can, okay? And to the extent I did not choose to get a second opinion, I did not, you know, that was my fear coming forward, okay? And so she's perfectly healthy. She just got through uh, climbing uh, Mount Denali. She's got two more mountains to climb before she has the seven summits. So to let you know, nothing's holding her back. <laughs> well, so God did answer your question because you really asked to have a child. Yes, I did. <laughs> and you did. And I heard that she's the gift because you're not with husband number one. That's true. I'm not. Husband, as one of my friends would call him, a husband. Uh, <laughs> but you, and, I, and we should introduce your daughter to a friend of ours, uh, Warner Berger. Warner is the oldest man to have climbed all the seven summits. Oh, wow. And he's fabulous. So I will, I'll get you guys connected because that would be a fun connection. He would really love to talk with your daughter. Oh, she would love that. I know. So daughter doesn't have it. You still do, but it's mild, but you've hidden, you, you, yeah. you put up what I call the mask of the woman, the woman behind the smile. You started early the yeah. behind the smile and then went off to college career yeah. in, Career in what? I I taught middle school for about 15 years. I taught seventh and eighth grade. And I remember one of my principals coming in after a drug test and she goes, you have barbiturates in your system. And I'm like, yeah. And she goes, and I, because I hadn't put on my teacher application that I had epilepsy because you wouldn't get hired. And I said, I have epilepsy. I'm fine. She goes, oh, thank God. He said, I thought I was going to fire you. And I said, no, I'm fine. You know, and even my neurologist today says, you know, you could probably get off that medication. And I'm like, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah, you know, like my husband. <laughs> if I have to take one pill three times a day, no biggie. Yeah. So I went through that. And then after my first husband left, he left in 86, I think. So I was on my own for a while. That was and pretty I, sudden though, wasn't it? Yeah. He woke up one morning. It was a Sunday. I'll never forget it. He sat on the side of the bed and he goes, I don't, he wasn't even looking at me. He was looking at the wall. He says, I don't love you anymore. I'm leaving. And I just looked at him. I didn't know what to say because he had been my rock, you know, and I should have seen it coming and I didn't because my awareness level was not there. And I said, well, I guess we're not going to church. I mean, I didn't know what to say. And he literally packed his stuff up that day and left and never turned around. But I was very fortunate. He was an attorney, so he did all the agreements for us, and we were financially fine until I moved to Atlanta and made some bad financial choices. Welcome to my world. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and you go through those, and you learn. You have to learn whatever you're going through, you have to risk going through it so you can learn to become the person of light God wants you to be. It is so important. And when you refuse to learn, well, guess what? The lesson comes around again and again and again, because God is trying to wake you up. 
And I love how you say that because that is so true. Uh, things happen for us, not necessarily to us. I've learned that over time. And so what happened for you next? Well, I was uh, actually, I was playing tournament racquetball and I was actually ranked nationally in my, and so I don't usually get hot. I don't know why I've never perspired or anything. It's like my, my system's kind of broken down as far as getting hot. I stay cold a lot of times, which actually helps my MS. But playing racquetball, I would get hot. And as I would get hot, my eyesight would kind of go and I'd start walking like I'm drunk. And I finally had to call the match and I would cool down and everything would go back to normal. I said, okay, fine. And also when I would teach school, I would come home and I would take a hot tub bath at night. Well, when I would get in the hot water, again, my eyesight would go. I mean, I literally, I had to feel for a towel and different things. So one day I was in church with my daughter. She was uh, having confirmation practice and all of a sudden a pain, a sharp, it looked, felt like a knife was going through my right eye. And I was like, I was just doubled over in pain. And my girlfriend was next to me and her next door neighbor was an eye doctor. And he said, I know he'll see you. So we went over to his office and he said, well, I'll give you a prescription for prednisone if you'll promise to go to your internist tomorrow. And I said, okay. So I got the prednisone and of course the pain went away, but I had promised that I would go. So for some reason I took my daughter with me because there was no one, if she came home, there was no one you know, to take care of her. So I took her with me and we went to my internist and he's just shaking his head. And my neurologist at that time in Atlanta was in the same building. So he sent me down to my neurologist. Of course, by this time, I'm like, okay, what's wrong with me this time? And she put me in an MRI unit. And Stephanie and I went across the street to have uh, some dinner. And I came back and Dr. Wallach, he looks at me and she goes, well, you have demyelinating disease. And I said, oh my gosh, what in the world is demyelinating disease? Well, she said, you have multiple sclerosis, MS. Well, the year was 1989. And, you know, I had heard of MS, yet I did not have a picture of what MS was, which is very fortunate because to the extent you have a negative picture of whatever your diagnosis is, that picture will outplay in your life because you're holding on to it and your thoughts are creating your reality. So I wrote it down and I went home and I called the National MS Foundation the next day. And I said, could you send me all your literature? So they sent me this packet of literature and I'm sitting there going through it, Debbie. And I'm like, it is the most negative packet of literature. Of course, the year was 1989. They've changed quite a bit. And it was so negative. And my middle schoolers would tell you, you know, I don't get mad often yet. If I get mad, you want to like stay out of my way totally. So I picked up the phone and I called the foundation and I said, how dare you send this information out to people? I said, I'm going to be incontinent. I need to make my will. I mean, what are you talking about? And they said, well, we hate to tell you. And I said, I hate to tell you. And I just slammed the phone down and threw most of the information away. How old were you at the time? Uh, probably 38. Now, does this happen to women about that age? Yeah, around 36, 38, it can happen younger. 
I've heard a lot of women uh, have it like after a pregnancy. I've done a lot of, of course, in 1989, since there weren't any medications for MS, mm -hmm. I started searching in the holistic world, which led me on my spiritual journey to live by the truths that I know, now live by. And I started studied Ayurvedic healing. I started studied Chinese medicine. I studied all kinds of different techniques to keep myself in balance so I could control the MS instead of it controlling me. And exercise is very important. There's a book, if anybody that's hearing this is newly diagnosed, get a book called the MS Diet Book by I think it's Robert Swank or Richard Swank, he's a doctor. It is so powerful because what you eat and what you put in, you have to know your triggers because there are certain foods I could eat. My MS is like that. I used to be able to drink red wine. I have one sip of red wine now. MS monster starts crawling out of his cave. Yet I can have a martini, I'm fine. Yet I tend to stay away from alcohol altogether. So you really have to know your triggers. What are your stresses? How do you have to keep yourself in balance? Exercise is extremely important. You know, the fatigue with MS is immense. Even this morning, I was feeling so much fatigue and I was like, okay, Mary, I'll wake up. And it's not that I haven't slept. I did sleep well last night. The MS, fatigue with MS is like not being able to lift your head, not being able to, and there are a few prescriptions that will help with this. And it's frustrating because you deal with the MS and you deal with the, with the doctors when I have an excellent doctor right now. And then some of the prescriptions, like the one for fatigue, when I first uh, tried to get it was $4,000 a month. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, I can't do this. Yeah. So I was very fortunate to get a few samples, you know, to have, there's another one because with my MS, I have pseudo bulbar effect, which is when you start crying or laughing for no reason. And when I first started doing this, I thought, what in the world's wrong with me? And there's a prescription that'll deal with that called new dextra. Now new dextra is about $2,000 a month. Yet I go through, there is a federal grant through a patient assistance program that does pay for that for me. That is basically the only MS prescription that I use other than prednisone at times and some other. See, MS is a virus. It's not a contagious virus, but it is viral. So there are a lot of antivirals that will assist you to stay healthy. And I found this out because I was at my computer this when I was writing one of my books and I got up and my legs just gave out and I just felt so there was a feeling in my stomach that I wasn't right so I thought I thought Debbie well I must be coming down with the flu so I had a Tamiflu uh, prescription so I took one Tamiflu literally 20 minutes later and I realized that wasn't the flu that was an MS attack mm. So that works for me. That, and what works for me won't necessarily work for everyone. You really have to be aware of what triggers you and what will work for you. But the MS is something you could, you could or do feel every day. It's, it's an ongoing fight. And uh, it's the probably, well, it is the hardest thing that I've ever had to deal with. And what I 
tell people is, you know, God didn't put this in my life to hurt me. Yeah. God put this in my life so that I could learn. And MS is related to stubbornness, hard-heartedness. And when I first read that, I thought, gee, I'm not hard-hearted. You know, I try to give to everybody and do nice things. And, but my, my daddy used to tell me, Mary Ellen, you would kick a dead horse with a stick and tell it to get up. <laughs> and, I, and I probably would too. And so you have to learn to be flexible. You have to learn. There are certain affirmations and words you can say to heal yourself. When you love yourself unconditionally, when you truly, in, because when I teach people, yeah, my human form has epilepsy and MS to deal with. In my true soul, in my true doings, in my true connection with God, there is no MS or epilepsy to deal with. Because when I die and go to heaven, hopefully, are you, am I going to have epilepsy or MS? No. So in truth, in my knowings, there is no MS to deal with today. And that I know is not the way we're taught. And I'm not telling people you should go to doctors, you should follow their treatments. And when they give you a treatment and you know, and you're knowing your body is telling you, hey, this isn't working, find something else. Because there are plenty of ways, plenty of other philosophies out there. And just be willing to learn. And I've had other guests that have had, mm -hmm. had done the same thing with different illnesses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the community around them is saying, well, why are you stopping that? Why aren't you, why aren't you doing it this way? Mm -hmm. And, and they got down to the point where they said, you know what, we have to do what we feel is right for us. Mm -hmm. And at some point when they, you know, got hit by a brick and they said, okay, so now mm -hmm. I tried it my way and it didn't work, but maybe it was a few years after the fact, and now there's a new medication for it. So it was a, the timeline, the timing for them wasn't right to take that other stuff. And, and to get past same thing, you, you know, you had to deal with when you were young, with your mother telling you, hide it, hide it, don't let anybody know. I can't tell you how many of my friends, how many people I've interviewed that had, they were, they stuttered when they were young, or they had some other illness. And they're like, don't tell anybody, because then they're going to treat you differently. And we don't want that, but I'm like, but we need to educate each other so that we're not scared. I mean, someone, fortunately your first husband said, so, you know, so what are your girlfriend said? So what, um, what I need to know is, is it going to affect you in a way that I am going to have to help you? Cause if I don't know about it, then I can't help you if you're having a seizure or whatever. I, I like to know about those things just for my own education and then how can I help be of, of assistance to you right. if something happens? Right. Uh, but I understand the don't tell, the, you know, right. hide it, pretend you're perfect. And we don't, we don't want to do that. But I heard you say one time too, that every morning you wake up and it's this gratitude of, I can see today, you know, mm -hmm. how, how do you wake up this morning? You said you were having some issues this morning. What do you think of when you wake up in the morning? Well, the first time, first thing I do you know, I am grateful uh, for waking up because I have woken up before and opened my eyes and I'm like seeing four of this and four of that. And I had to wear an eye patch over one eye for like three months. So it looked kind of interesting. And then I remember one time I got out of bed and I fell to the floor. My legs didn't work. And that lasted for about three months. And that was related to a uh, vaccine I took the day before. It was Guillain-Barre. So I can't take the COVID vaccines. I mean, I have a letter I carry with me 
I'm not able to take any vaccine ever because of that. And you, like I said, I still wake up being grateful. I had pneumonia from February 7th till probably March 15th. And I'm not usually in bed all the time, but that put me down. Mm. And every day when I woke up, I was so grateful for being able to move my hands, being able to eat something, being able to drink something. You'd be grateful for every single little thing. And a bluebird came and sat on my deck and I, I could see it through my window. Oh, thank you for sending me that. You know, you're not just grateful for being able to get out of bed in the morning and the fact that it's sunny. You're grateful when it's raining. You're grateful when the technology doesn't work. You're grateful for every single little thing, good and bad. And that's difficult in a world where everything seems to be bad right now. You know, yeah. I, I had a guest last week and I'm thinking, why can't we just rewrite this story? Let's be intentional with our dialogue. Let's learn about each other so that we're not so divisive and so argumentative and have a little gratitude in life. And that's what I like about what you do, because given the, uh, the trials you've had, you've never carried on with that victim mentality. So how do you encourage folks who've had something happen? And we all have to get past themselves and the victim mentality and move forward and be a thriver. Well, don't get me wrong because you know, I was raised being a little victim, you know, by, by my mother and stuff. And I didn't like that. So when I left there, you have to take your story and you can edit it. You can cut the tape. Okay. And you don't have to be that victim or you can choose to keep being that victim. And what I usually tell my clients is what are you getting out of playing the victim men mentality? And it's usually negative attention and negative attention is better than no attention at all. And they think, well, you know, if I get better and everything, nobody's going to pay any attention to me. Well, you know, you need to pay attention to you. Okay. You need to love yourself. Okay. No one else can love you until you love you. It's just like if you asked me for change for a dollar and I didn't have any dollar bills, I didn't have any coins, I couldn't give you change for a dollar. And it's the same way with love. If I don't love myself, if I don't practice these truths and live by these truths, I then cannot speak about them because I would not have them inside of me to give to other people. You always have to cut the, you can shape your story, whatever, whatever you want to do. The, the past is the past, the, the future, you know, when people are depressed, they're usually in the past. You know, I did this in the past. Oh my gosh, poor little me. I'm such a bad person, you know, and they sit around with their little coffee clutches and they say, well, I did this in the past. Well, I got you one. I, you know, I, I did something worse than that. You know, it's like a little medal ceremony mm. and you don't have to do that surround yourself with positive uplifting people you know if you want to complain go complain and don't complain to me because I, I just don't want to hear it and if I have different activities that I get my clients to do and one of them is one of their most powerful is to wake up in the morning of course being grateful and when they get out of bed when they go to the mirror in the bathroom in the morning look in the mirror and say and just say to themselves Good morning, Mary Ellen. I love you. It's going to be a positive, uplifting day. And you just, you would not, you would be surprised how many clients I've had in this office and there's a bathroom attached. And I've had these six foot tall grown men 
go in that bathroom and look in that mirror and start crying because they can't tell themselves that they love themselves. And that is what I see as lacking in our society, a lack of loving each other, a lack of loving ourselves enough to uplift each other, be kind to each other and be compassionate with each other. Because all healing, all positivity always begins with loving yourself. And we have people out there, not our group necessarily, but they're going to be those naysayers saying, oh, you guys are just a bunch of Pollyannas. I've had that, but you know what? I'm happy where I'm at. I'm happy with what I'm doing. I'm happy that things have happened. And would I like to have more money in the bank because of how much I gave away? Absolutely. But I love to say my last suit has no pockets. Can't take any of that with me. But the experiences that we've had them and you you've said this too about taking your pain and making it into your purpose and then your passion mm-hmm. so you're doing that today in a very positive way with the real health mm-hmm. r-e-a-l explain right. what that is well real stand actually i was working out in atlanta one day and i heard i always listen to god and talk to him and i heard him say real health And real stands for really enthusiastic about life. Because when you're really enthusiastic about life, how can you be depressed? How can you be anxious? How can you be let down? You have to have a purpose to get out of bed in the morning. So I thought, wow, that is wonderful. I really like that. So I went home and wrote it down. And then, you know, God started telling me all these little vignettes for my first book. And I was like, you know, God, enough is enough. I taught middle school 15 years. And I usually always taught in the inner city for some reason. I I actually really loved it. And uh, some of my students still follow my truths of the day. They go, oh, were you a middle school teacher? I said, yeah, okay, sure. (laughs) And I just really, I love what I do. I love giving these messages out. And if one person just hears it, because what you think is truth and what real truth is, are two separate matters. Explain that a little further. Okay. I I could say uh, right now the truth in Chattanooga is it's raining. Okay. That is a fact about Chattanooga that's happening. Okay. That is not a truth because truth never changes. Okay. Truth is something like God is. I am a child of light, of God. What you focus on expands, what you think about happens. You're never upset for the reason you think. You're always only upset with yourself. You know, all of these are truths that will never change. And people will will fight me on them. And I'm like, well, I can explain it to you, you know, and I break it down for them, which is why I have asked Mary Ellen, because I wanted people to ask me questions so I could help them break down their situations to see them differently. Because it's just... We're looking through the filters of our own experiences. Right. It's just like with, with my MS. Okay. And when I started studying uh, at the Atlanta Awareness Center, I remember my spiritual um, professor told me, she said, Mary Ellen, the problem is you see a problem. Oh, Debbie, I was so mad. I went home and I was like, all the way home in the car. Door. Problem is, of course, I see a problem. I had a mother like this. I had epilepsy, I had MS. Of course, I see a problem. And I mean, I literally woke up in the middle of the night, sat bolt upright, and I was like, she's right. The problem is I see a problem. When I see a problem, you are making it a problem. You can see it as a problem or a misperception. 
and take it back and say, okay, what do I need to learn from seeing it this way? What do I still need to learn? What, you know, this is going on in my life to help me become stronger. And it's always a, your life is a journey of one lesson after another. That is a true statement. And I, and I believe that because mm -hmm. things happen for us, again, for us, not to us, because I believe in the bigger, in the bigger scheme and the eternal perspective too, we're there for somebody else. Mm -hmm. What we've gone through mm -hmm. will be there so that the person sitting beside you that might have it, that's never talked about it now knows they're not alone. Mm -hmm. And that's what I like what you're doing because you're raising the awareness of it, but you're not letting it consume you. You are not defined by MS or epilepsy. You're being mm -hmm. defined by real health. And I love that really <laughs> enthusiastic about life. Yeah. We need more of that in the world. Mm -hmm. You would be surprised how many clients I have. And one of the first questions I ask them, I say, what do you like to do for fun? And they're fun? like, fun, what's fun? You know, they think only a child is supposed to have fun. No, you're supposed to have fun. What are you passionate about? I mean, I like to go hang gliding. Of course, I go with the instructor off Lookout Mountain. I like to go paddle boarding. You know, I, I like to go zip lining. I want to go to Buffalo and go over Niagara Falls on the zip line up there. Woo. You know, I, I want to experience everything in life that I can. And my husband and I have been, my second husband and I have been very fortunate to travel We've been to so many places around the world before COVID hit that, that that's wonderful. I don't need to go anymore. <laughs> You're my kind of girl. You're right up there. Have you done any parachute uh, skydiving yet? Not skydiving yet. I wanted to and Pete wouldn't let me. And I'm going, I'm going, I did it inside. You know, the inside period yeah. where they blow you up and did that. But I want to do that. Yes. I did it with my daughter a year after my husband passed away, my late husband. And it was such a bonding experience. We had a blast. And I recall, I was talking to a friend of mine who, who's since died also, that he was a pilot. And he goes, why are you jumping out of a perfectly good airplane? Until he saw the airplane and he goes, that's not perfectly good. Go ahead and jump. <laughs> but it was the most fun. And then I took, uh, then I remarried and I took my husband and his son Mm -hmm. And my older boys and my younger boys, I mean, I've done it twice. I've taken the kids out. You got to do it at least once. Oh, yeah. If you I love hang gliding because I've been up to 5,000 feet before yeah. they cut the cord. And it's just so peaceful and it's so calm. And when you're up there, you know, there's a God. Yeah. You don't just believe. You just know because. You see it. Yeah, it's it. Yeah. It's just so beautiful. Yeah. Well, you're, you're my kind of girl. Um. So let's talk a little bit about too, but what you've done now, you've, you've written multiple books mm -hmm. and I'm going to put this up. I'm going to tell you, I was going to change the screen for a minute. <laughs> this just cracks me up. Okay. All right. So tell us about this. <laughs> well, the peacocks on the front of my book, truth, taking responsibility unleashes true healing. And the peacock is on there because, hold on, I got to get this up, because of the way peacocks get their feathers. And a peacock gets their feathers, their color in their feathers by eating thorns. And the harder the thorn is to digest in the digestive tract, the more beautiful the color in the tail, the more brilliant the color in the tail. And it's the same way with people. As we go through our trials and tribulations, 
and we learn from them. That's the key. Okay. We become the beautiful, peaceful children of light with our purpose that God wants us to be. And when I was in Hawaii with my grandkids in June, we found a peacock feather and it was, the kids loved it. They were running around with it, but there, there were male peacocks and there were female peacocks. And the, typically the, the really colorful ones, I believe are male peacocks. Right. So maybe the male guys go through, eat more thorns. <laughs> uh, maybe they have more, more things to go through, but I love the, the, um, the illustration of that because that, that is us. Mm -hmm. Life mm -hmm. would be just bland if we had nothing happen to us. Now, mm -hmm. people think you might be happier. I don't seem to think that because I've had my trials in life. And it's always fun to look back. You know, 2020 is a great way to look at stuff. Mm -hmm. But we know things are going to happen. Mm -hmm. It's just you don't have to worry about it, right? Yeah. What do you think I about mean, worry? You, you got to stay in the now moment right now. Okay. You can't be anxious about the future and you can't be worried about the past. You just have to live every single moment and let it go. And sometimes that's difficult. So you don't have to do it by yourself. Mm -hmm. Who, do, who yeah, do you put around you so that you know you're not alone? Well, of course, my husband and my daughter and my husband and I just celebrated our 21st 24th wedding anniversary the other day. Congratulations. And it was interesting when I was single in Atlanta, you know, if you didn't like somebody you were dating, you just had to go, well, I have epilepsy and MS and they kind of do a U-turn in the middle of Peachtree, take you home. But I started dating Pete and I liked him a lot. And so my daughter keeps going, would you tell him? I'm like, I'm going to tell him. So I played him in racquetball first. And I told him that night I had epilepsy. He goes, okay. And I let a couple of days pass. And then I finally said, well, I have MS because you never know how somebody's going to take that diagnosis. And he just paused. And for me, it was like the longest pause in the history of the world. And he goes, well, I love you. And do you have anything else you have to tell me? <laughs> and we've been together ever since. Unload. So why do you think you were so hesitant in telling him? Because of the fear that, you know, you, because I had dated one guy probably a year before I met Pete and I did tell him that I had, I didn't tell him about the, I didn't get to tell him about the epilepsy. I told him about the MS and he goes, oh my gosh, that's a deal breaker. You're going to be in a wheelchair. You're going to have a stroke. And I'm like, you don't know you're going to have a stroke tomorrow. What are you talking about? And it, you know, you have to take those and go back and say, that's their issue. That's not mine. And I'm very grateful to God that that didn't work out because it wouldn't have worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and are you um, a spokeswoman for, for MS at all? I mean, do you do speaking about it just to raise awareness? I would love to be. And uh, they, the MS Foundation does not really, excuse me. Uh, like me because I do not take any of the pharmaceuticals. Yeah. And so I cannot be, none of the pharmaceutical companies will underwrite me because I don't take their products and I'm not going to take their products. So, you know, I tell people when I can through sessions like this or through clients, 
But it, I think that's sad about society when we do have natural ways to go and we're not allowed to get them out there. Uh, yes, I, I definitely agree. And But I do think it's a really important thing. Uh, I believe my sister-in-law's sister got it when she was in her 30s. And uh, this was years ago. We're all in our 60s now. And she's functioning. She's got her bad days and her good days. I don't know what if she's on medication or not. But I know that when I heard that, she was one of the first women that I had heard about that had gotten it. And that's when I found out, too, that it was when you're in about your mid-30s. So it's something so many young women need to know about because you may not have been able to get it diagnosed I mean, you had a friend right there was in your eye, right? You, the first thing it was. Yeah, I have eye. a hair that's right here. So I'm so sorry. It's okay. But you, you found out because you had that pain in your eye. So that was really, right. that was your God moment saying, okay, enough already. Get into the doctor. Uh, yeah. was there, looking back on it, was there anything else that might've been a little bit of a telltale prior to that? Oh yeah. I, I think I had symptoms uh, way back. I mean, actually, I think my mother had symptoms also because when I was diagnosed and my hopefully my throat's working okay but one of the things my neurologist told me was that it would act up in my throat oh so and my mother had throat issues but and she would never get tested for either epilepsy I mean she just wouldn't you know she just couldn't handle it and actually after they passed away I was up with my uncle Harry, which was my mother's brother. And I found out my cousin has MS. Now it doesn't run in families. That, that's not what I'm saying. But he, he didn't know that I had epilepsy or MS. My, my mother never told, well, my mother never told anybody. Mm -hmm. Well, again, your mom liked to hide stuff. And I think, <laughs> but I think, I think a lot of times back then, well, every, not even back then, we don't want people to know that we're not perfect. Yeah. Looking back on it, I really think she was trying to protect me yeah. from some of the opinions that might have come my way or from some of the things that, you know, other people might have said, especially because of the laws that were on the books then. And actually some of those laws are still on the books today. They just haven't changed them. Really? Well, there's your next mission in life, Mary Ellen, is to go get those laws changed. And it comes from, st from standing up and speaking up and just letting people know. I mean, how many people would know that there is a law on the books that you can't get married if you had, em had uh, epilepsy? Yeah, I remember when I was married to my first husband, I got up one morning and looked at the paper and there was an article in there about a man divorcing his woman, his wife, because she had epilepsy. And it was against the law. And I remember, and then I remember going to church on another occasion. And of course, this was back in the 70s or eight, early 80s. And the minister was talking, and this was in Greensboro, North Carolina, where my uh, father-in-law was like one of the elders. And the minister was going, talking about Jesus's healing of the epileptic, casting out the devil, and how the devil was in these people. And oh my gosh, I went up after the service to the minister's office. And I just looked at him and I said, how dare you say that? And uh, of course, that did go over real well for my father-in-law, but. 
there she goes again, speaking her mind, but it comes yeah. from, it comes from people not understanding and not being educated oh, yeah. about what it really yeah. is. And I, I believe that's true with so many things today. And, and I loved it. I heard you talk one time mm-hmm. about manners and I had this discussion with my guests last week about manners. Why is it so important for us to be teaching manners? It is so important because that's how, like, you show respect to yourself. You show love to yourself. When you have proper manners, when you sit straight, when you look somebody in the eye when you're speaking, when you use proper um, language, uh, when you use proper tone of voice, when you dress appropriately, you don't have to dress fancy, just you do have to be clean, you know, I think and appropriate put it that way it is just so important to teach each other because in teaching manners you're teaching kindness you're teaching compassion you're teaching love of self because even when you're alone by yourself you should set the table and sit down and take time to eat and not just throw everything i mean i know we're all busy you know i'm busy too and i do that sometimes too and take time to chew your food, drink a lot of water, you know, make sure you have proper manners. There are so many young girls today, they don't even know how to set a table. Mm. And it's just, I, I think it's not good with our society. I mean, it's just. It's definitely changed. My dad's 92 and the other day he's like, you know what, I don't think it's getting any better. It's, we've had a lot of discussions over what's happened in the last nine decades in his life. And you can imagine it's been a lot. And, but we had this discussion and I've got four children and four grandchildren and, and I, I don't demand, I encourage good manners and being polite and, and speaking when you're, you know, if someone said, well, when we all grew up and it was children should be seen and not heard. Well, we can be heard today. But the, like you said, the tone, mm. the way we speak, that shows a reflection. It, that's a reflection on us, the way mm. we're speaking out. And I, mm. I look at outside mm. in the world today, and there's so much nastiness, uh, especially mm. public figures. You know, I don't know if you've had this by speaking out, but I certainly have. And the anonymity of, of online and people thinking they have this right to just tear you apart based on what, what's happened in your life. And it, it's very damaging, especially to someone that in the, my world of, of working with survivors of, of financial fraud, to have someone outside victim blame and tell you how stupid you were or all these things, something that is done no good for them. It's not doing any good for you, but it's so easy to just spout out because no one's going to call you on it. Yeah, that's true. And it's tough. So that's why I like what you're doing. You're, you're telling the real truth in a responsible manner and you're doing it with kindness and courage and vulnerability and you're making a difference. The topic, I think this weekend you're on a, you're in a uh, conference, a women's conference called celebrate you. And I believe your topic is the truth of the matter. That is correct. So the give us a little, little tidbit. We only have a couple of minutes. The hour's flying by. What are you going to be talking about? Well, I'm going to be talking about actual truth and how you can connect with it 
how you can find it, what truth is exactly, and how you can connect with your authentic self. And there's a difference between your authentic self, and I mean self with a capital S, and your non-authentic self or yourself with a small lowercase s. And I'll be talking about that. And I'll be giving activities for each, each uh, individual section. Perfect. Well, I will put the link to that conference. And so how can people get a hold of you? Well, I have a website, which is, of course, www.askmaryellen.com. Just go to that. You'll see I have Miracles of Mary Ellen that I do on Mondays. It's already up. I have about five pages of inspirational blogs. You can send me a message or a question, and I will get right back to you as, as soon as I get it. And you're on the Facebook. You've got a Facebook page, and you do the daily inspiration. Is that right? right. I put a truth of the day on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter every single day. Now, on uh, Saturday, on the weekends, I just do a picture with a small truth. Um, during the week, I'll have a bigger truth, like what you focus on expands, what you think about happens, and then I'll try to explain it for someone so they can understand it. Um, and I have three books out, Truth Lives, which is my latest one. It's here. Okay. And I have Healing Words, Life Lessons to Inspire, which was my first one that and actually, I didn't write any of these. God wrote them. He keeps telling me these messages, and I keep having to write them down. I'm like, okay. And this is the one with the peacock on it. Truth, taking responsibility, unleashes true healing. Oh, well, they're perfect topic, perfect uh, uh, titles. And again, I love the peacock. <laughs> I just thought that was fun. And that's when I thought I would make up a really cool graphic this morning with the peacock, because they are amazing birds. But they all, I heard also they're tenacious, they can be aggressive, they've got yep. some nasty parts to them, but they sure are pretty on the outside. Well, uh, and you'll find a lot of people like that too, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And, yeah. and that's true. So look beyond the feathers and look for the, look for the kindness of that, of that bird or that person and, uh, and understand the last thing is really brief. You talk about the three fingers a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. give me that last is our going away what is the three fingers the one finger out three fingers back yep okay the best way to understand awareness of yourself is through a theory called one finger out and i have three pointing back okay which means that the good you see in others is the good you have inside yourself and so if you see somebody being inspirational and kind and mannerly you need to take that back into yourself and say well, thank you, God. Thank you for showing me those characteristics because I know those are in me or you wouldn't be able to see it. And there's a flip side to this too that is hard for people to take. I understand the things about other people that hook you or really irritate you are God's way of showing you what you need to learn about yourself. And it doesn't mean that they didn't do something incorrect. They probably did. If you saw it and you don't, hook onto it if it doesn't bother you the next day and the next week then you can let it go if it hooks you and the next day you're going i can't believe they were talking like that i can't believe they were so jealous i can't believe and you're hooked onto it then stop and ask yourself what do i need to learn from seeing that situation that way Interesting. A friend of mine, uh, Mel Mason, she's called the clutter expert. She said the outside mirrors the inside. 
Mm-hmm. I've heard you say something similar to that too. So that is mm-hmm. true. When we are pointing our finger at, yeah. those three fingers are coming back to us. And sometimes it's a hard thing to, to grasp, but I always find that if you can put yourself out there and do a little bit of service for somebody else, your problems don't seem half as big. Oh yeah. And when you're depressed, if you'll go and do something for someone else, that depression will lift. Take a shower, start there, do something good for yourself. Well, my truth is truth is never easy to live by. When somebody tells you a truth, you're going to go, no, that's not me. That's not me. You have to look at it. Take a pause and think about it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that, like you said, that long pause can be frightening, but in the end, it'll be worth it. This hour has flown by. I knew it would. I hope your voice stayed with you. I'm glad the internet stayed with us. Mary Ellen, thank you so much for being my guest. Good luck on the Celebrate You Summit this weekend. You've got some wonderful women you're going to be joining, and I will be there watching you, learning what I can from each one of you. Appreciate you being here. Uh, You're a wonderful guest. and Thank you for this wonderful opportunity. You are such a blessing to myself and the world. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And to finish this off the way I started it, I admire you. And thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Stand Up and Speak Up. We are dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment and to being your best self. If you are the victim of a scam or cybercrime, please visit againstscams.org for assistance and guidance about options and recovery. SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, is an incorporated nonprofit crime victims assistance organization based in Miami, Florida, supporting scam victims worldwide. If you can, make a small donation to help victims around the world receive the help they need. This episode has been sponsored by BenfoComplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you or anyone you know struggles with the pins and needles or numbness in their hands and feet, check out our Benfoteaming products at BenfoComplete.com. Use the special code STANDUP for a 5% discount on your purchase. Again, thank you for being with us today. Go to my website, The Woman Behind the Smile, for additional resources and information. Subscribe to my YouTube channel and enjoy the replays. My books are all available on Amazon.com and Audible, and I encourage you to join us again. Have a great day.